If you guys looked in your bulletin, you guys could see that today uh, my message is called, Is Your Table Big Enough? And that might sound kind of funny, but by the end of this day, you will understand completely what I mean. We're going to be getting to this table over here in just a little bit. But I want to talk to you about what the last couple of weeks have looked like for me and maybe for you. I've always told myself whenever I am going to be able to come up here and share a word and preach, I'm preaching to myself first, always. I'm not going to preach something the Lord's not dealing with me on because I am right there with you. So I, I hope you hear that today is something I need, and I hope that it's something that you need. But I was thinking back on 2017. I think a lot of people do this. It's one of my favorite times of the year because I get to go out and buy a new journal. Um, right when we get up to the close of the year, I get to buy a new journal for the year, and I get to write down what 2017 meant for me and what I'm going to do in 2018. My wife has been doing the very same thing. Hers looks a lot neater and probably is spelled more correctly, and it's, it's beautiful. Mine's a lot of scribbles. But we've been evaluating our life and what it's going to look like. Some things we've been talking about is what does success look like for us in this year? My whole life I've been told what success is, but other people's versions of success don't match up with mine. So I've been thinking about that. My wife has been thinking about that. We've been thinking about what it looks like to start a family. It's not coming soon, so don't get excited. There's no babies coming just yet. But we've been thinking about family. We've been looking at buying a house. We've just been talking about life. And I'm sure if you all stop and take a minute, you've been doing the same thing the last couple of weeks. What was 2017 like? You might have some regrets. You might have found yourself broken. You might have loss of loved ones. 2017 had a lot of things of its own, but 2018 is here now. I can't tell you how blessed I feel that Stacy asked me to preach the first Sunday of the new year. That's a big one. And that makes me excited that Stacy believes in the call that God has in my life. And as I started shifting these last couple weeks in reading through the Gospels, preparing for today, the Lord started challenging me on my walk with him. I don't know about you, but I get challenged by the Lord quite a bit. And he's been challenging me about my walk with him and what it looks like to follow him and to do the things he did. And today I hope I can share a glimpse of one thing that he's shown me as I've been reading through the Gospels recently. Stacy's going to be starting a new series um, any week now. It's about going beyond. I know he gave you a little bit of it last week and got to say we are going to be going beyond the walls. We're going to be going beyond the church. And as I start thinking about what it meant to go beyond, I know right away you guys thought, well, we're going to just be doing more stuff in the city and more stuff for the homeless. But going beyond might mean something different for all of us. These are a couple of things that I wrote down. Going beyond the walls, going beyond ourselves, going beyond your workplace, going beyond your families, going beyond your comfort zones. You get to choose what going beyond means for you. As long as going beyond means you move out of your pew. Because Jesus is too good to keep inside this little church. I don't know if you heard me. I only heard one yeah. But Jesus is too good to keep inside of this little church. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. We're awake. Um, I was used to doing middle school and high school, so they're loud and rambunctious. So I, I'm okay if you guys are loud and talking and just stay off your cell phones. They do that pretty well. But for me, it's like we need to move outside of our church and we need to get up out of the pew. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. If I was to go through the list of the disciples, their skill sets were very, very minimal. A lot of them were just fishermen. So you can do it. But we have to go beyond our pew and beyond our church. And we're going to do that on these next couple of weeks. Stacy's going to be talking about that. And I'm excited. I, I have really bought into Stacy's vision. We've been able to talk about what 2018 is going to look like. And I am in full support of where Stacy's going and where I feel like he's going to lead us. And I'm excited. And you should be excited too. Because church is about going beyond. It's not about staying 
in here. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles for me, I'm going to go ahead and dive into the scripture for today. I'm going to be speaking out of Luke 5, verse 27 through 31. Stacy's usually pretty well at telling you what page number it's on. I didn't, didn't, I didn't look and see what page number it's on, but it's in there. So um, Luke 5, verse 27 through 31. When you're preparing to speak um, in front of anyone, you know, in college it was easy for me. Taking speech class is one of the easiest classes I ever took. Um, I never really prepared for it. I just walked up there and shared what was ever on my mind. Um, and I did pretty good in that class. When you're getting ready to speak in front of a church, um, it's a little bit different. People know the scriptures. There are people farther along their walk with Jesus than I am. And I commend you and I look at your wisdom. And so it can get a little intimidating speaking to all of you who already know this passage. But I would ask that today that you would open up your heart to maybe hear something new for the first time. And I challenge you to listen and not to nod off because you think you might have already heard this message. I believe I have heard revelation from Jesus throughout this, these scriptures I'm about to read. So I challenge you to stay really focused on what God might have for you for 2018. Let's read together. You guys want to stand up? I like how Stacy does it. Let's stand up. Luke 5 verse 27 through 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. As he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax, tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is that not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that these words that were written so long ago, that they still carry so much power and weight to them when we dive in and we really seek what you're saying for us in the season of life we're in. I believe the season of life that Myrtle Grove is in is we are preparing to move outside the walls. We're preparing to go out and seek and pursue those who are lost and who do not have wholeness in their lives. Jesus, I ask that today that you would take these scriptures and the wisdom that I feel like you have given me and that I would speak it clearly and Holy Spirit that you would come in the room like you did with the 12 and that you would speak to people's hearts. You would light their hearts on fire for what you have for them in 2018. Church Myrtle Grove is just starting. We have had such a beautiful past. There are so many great things about this church, but we need to get excited for the future and it starts in 2018. So I ask that this scripture will light a fire under all of us that we will get out of the pews and go beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Many times in my life, I feel like I start to outlead God. I'm going to go into my first point here, but I try to outlead God. I try to rush God. And in youth group, sometimes I make kids raise hands, but I'm not going to do that in here. Um, I, I won't make you guys do that. But 
But I want you guys to start thinking when I'm asking questions, does this apply to me? Does this apply to my family members? Is there times where I'm just stuck? And is there times maybe I do what Matt does? If not, I'm just preaching to myself, like I said. But I feel like sometimes I get out in front of God where God's like, hey, let's go talk to somebody out on the street. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. And I start rushing ahead of God and I start turning people into projects. First thing to write down, people aren't projects. People are people. I can go out into the world. I can be having dinner with my wife. I can be walking through the grocery store and I rush out in front of God. I'm like, okay, where's my project? Where's my project? I got to find my project. Where's the, where's the person I'm supposed to fix today? And I'm telling on myself because I've done this and I'm not happy for the way I've done it. But I rush out in front of God and I try to lead God. Ways we do this sometimes is we meet someone for the very first time and we start telling them our testimony right away. I love our testimonies. Let's ask somebody who they are. Let's ask them their story. Let's ask them what they're about, what their family's like. Let's maybe have dinner with them first. Let's get to know them. I want to trust that Jesus has a timetable and that he's going to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And I'm not going to rush God. I have a couple of kids in my youth group now who have been coming for three or four years. And guess what? They're just starting to ask what this Jesus thing is all about. And that's okay with me. Because they give me chance every single week and they keep showing up. And in those scenarios, these kids are starting to ask, man, I want to know more about Jesus. And it took three years. And guess what? Jesus isn't scared of time. Why are we? Why are we so scared about rushing it? So throughout this first point, what I'm trying to draw is, let's stop rushing God. Let's let him do what he's really good at. And what's God good at? I'm going to tell you. In verse 27, this is how it starts. One of the things that point out to me, he says, and he got up, left everything, and followed him. As we begin to reach out to our community, are we going to try to rush the process, or are we going to follow Jesus and let Jesus lead? Jesus is pretty good at leading. And can anyone tell me why? Why is Jesus good at leading? I believe Jesus was such a good leader because he was the best follower. It says following there for a reason. I tell my youth group all the time, I said, you know, the best followers or the best leaders are the best followers. And I fully believe that. If you look in John, it says that Jesus only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he saw his father say. Jesus was a follower, and I know it's weird to say that, but we have all these leadership conferences we go to for work. We need to start going to conferences to learn how to be followers because we've got it mixed up. Everyone wants to lead. No one wants to follow anymore. I'll throw someone up on stage sometimes, and, and they'll do a really good message. They'll walk off the stage, and you really can't tell they're a leader sometimes because everybody wants the pulpit. Everybody wants to preach, but nobody wants to follow. Church, can we be a church that will follow Jesus when we're out there and going beyond? That's a question you're going to have to answer for your own life. In your family, do you rush the process with your family? Do you have someone in your family who doesn't know Jesus? A lot of us do. I know I do. Every single time I see them at Christmas, what do I do first? I try to get them saved. I'm rushing the process. Let's follow God and trust that he's big enough to do what he came here to do. Here in just a second, I'm going to talk about this table. I'm going to be having some dinner guests with me as we continue to dive into this 
message. Um, it's, it's a pretty nice table, and the only reason I say this is because I built it. Um, and I've had people already ask me, no, I'm not building another one. And so I won't be building you one for your house. But I love this table for a couple things. Um, there is actually a, a bench back here, and I proposed to my wife, and we prayed at this bench the day that I asked her to marry me. So this table holds a lot of significance for me, um, and I'm going to take it everywhere I go. But So we're going to get to that in a second. I have some people who are getting ready to come out, and we're going to talk to them. But there's another part of this verse, verse 28. I'm going to read it for you because there's something that stuck out to me, and Pastor Stacy and I were talking about this. Verse 28 says, So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. If you have a King James Bible and some other translations, it says, So Levi arose, left everything, and followed him. That word arose stuck out to me. And you know why? It's because in different different passages, when Jesus was raised from the, set, from the dead, it said Jesus arose on the third day. So something out of the Gospels that I've got for the very first time is the Gospels, there are a lot of things. They talk about miracles, talk about healings, they talk about people coming back to life. But for me, the New Testament, a theme that's running through it is resurrection life, and I miss that. I've missed that ever since I was a little boy. I've never seen it until this week. The New Testament holds truths about the resurrection life. Resurrection life didn't just happen on the third day when Jesus arose. It's happening all throughout the scriptures. Can you see it? When you're reading about a miracle, when you're reading about somebody coming back to life, that's resurrection life. We were dead and now we're alive. And I come here on Easter and that's the only day I'm celebrating resurrection life. I've missed it. Resurrection life happens every single time someone encounters Jesus. And I think I've downplayed that for too long. I'll talk to someone about Jesus maybe for the first time and I'll get excited. Oh, they got to hear about Jesus. But I think I've lost my appetite and I'm trying to find it again to remind myself how important resurrection life is. The three chapters before this and the three after it are all about miracles. And I'm, I'm I'm asking Jesus this week, why before Luke 5 is it all about miracles? And after Luke 5 is all about miracles, why did you decide to put this little verse in there and talk about when you called Matthew? And for me, it showed me that resurrection life is a miracle and Jesus is doing it all throughout the Gospels. So I'd ask that when we start going beyond, will we get excited? That when we have someone over for dinner, when we're meeting someone, maybe at a restaurant, when we're in the, uh, the checkout line, that Jesus is about to do resurrection in front of you just by you being you, maybe not by you saying something or, like I said, telling your testimony or trying to clean them up or whatever that looks like for you, but just to slow down and let Jesus be Jesus and do what he does. Jesus is pretty good at what he does. I'm going to have my first person come out here in just a second. Um, I've been doing a lot of research and there's something in, I didn't go to theology school and um, I've never taken any theology classes, but I do do a lot of research and, there's research, and there's something called table fellowship that's scattered all throughout the New Testament. So this week, I read a ton about what table fellowship looks like, and there's 10 different places in Luke alone where Jesus had a meal with someone. And I believe that that was Jesus' way in. He could have picked any way he wanted, but Jesus picked to have dinners with people. So I'm going to take his example... Because if Jesus did it, I should probably do it. So I'm going to be sharing about table fellowship and what it looks like because I believe Jesus is the best model for life. 
And I believe he modeled it all throughout the New Testament. Are we going to keep looking at that model and be like, oh, that's pretty good, but that was for Jesus. No, that's for us. Jesus modeled life for us to do it the same exact way. So the first person who's going to come out uh, to my table is going to be um, Cody. Cody, will you come out here for me? This is Cody. Um, I'm going to do a little disclaimer. The next three people that come out, um, what I'm about to talk about and some of their brokenness and some of their some of their kind of life patterns does not say that's what they're dealing with because I'm going to go pretty hard. But what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to cast a wide net because all of us have something we're going through. All of us have a part in us that is broken that Jesus is working on. And if, we do, if you don't, that's awesome. But I believe Jesus is constantly working on stuff in us if we want to look at it. And for 2018, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention on what God wants to work on in my life. So I'm going to read some characteristics for my dinner guests today. Cody is the proud. Cody loves to focus on other people's, failure, uh, other people's failures. He has trouble when people other than himself have success. He is driven by his own success. He's very self-conscious, and he's unapproachable and defensive. For a long time, I thought that being proud just meant it had to do with money and the way I acted and what I did with my money. And, but as I've been reading the scriptures, there are a lot of times that one of my brokenness is being proud. So today, Cody's sitting up here, and he is struggling with pride, with arrogance, being scared, pushing people away. And he's going to be one of my dinner guests for today. The next is the broken. That's going to be Ava. All the people you're about to see are either part of the youth group or on the core team or on the student leadership team. And they have graciously said they'd help me. Ava is the broken. This is the one that I believe probably most of us have or will struggle with in our life. The broken, a lot of times, acts like a victim, lives an unseen life, likes to make decisions based out of fear, talks about others to keep the attention off of themselves, likes to run into the wrong relationships because they are trying to fill a hole. By doing this, they find unhealthy ways to get their needs met. I won't make you raise your hands, but we have all been broken at some time or another. Lastly, I did this one last on purpose because it's easy for a pastor to come up here and talk about someone who has an addiction, things they're struggling with, but I want to go against the norms and talk about the addict last. So, Gable, would you come out here for me? Gable's trying to match me today. It's okay. The addict. Of course, I could easily say that an addict is someone who's struggling with drugs, alcohol. We already know that. This is what I think about the addict. The addict is searching for anything to meet the needs of a moment. Lives a life that needs instant gratification. Feels broken and ashamed. Never wants to talk to anyone. Lives in denial. The addict might have poor stress management. The addict finds wholeness in a counterfeit. For me, when I think about addictions in my life that I have been addicted to, 
I was just trying to get a, a healthy need met in an unhealthy way. So in high school, I was addicted to pornography. That was my big one. I used to pray every single night that the Lord would make me blind because I thought that was the only thing coming between me and Jesus. Night after night, I'd cry, Jesus, make me blind and this will go away. Then there will be no sin between us. I probably stopped praying that prayer when I was 16 years old. It never happened. My eyes are pr pretty good. Um, but I was just trying to get a healthy need met in an unhealthy way. And that's what addicts do. I think we need to stop labeling people by their sin and look for the heart because that's what Jesus did. People around Jesus' table, he wasn't sitting here being like, oh man, you deal with lust, you have money issues, and you're drinking way too much tonight, Levi. That's not how Jesus was. Jesus saw past the mess and looked at the heart. Can we do that? I hope so. It's not always easy because some people's messes are bigger than others. But Jesus did it. And he said we were going to do things far greater than he did. And I'm ready to start seeing those things in my life, church. If Jesus said it, I believe it. So as Jesus is sitting at this table, they're actually probably sitting on the ground. But as Jesus was sitting at the table, I think he was looking at his dinner guests. And I think this is something that we forget about. Life can touch anyone. No one is above life touching them. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how little you have, doesn't matter how great your family is, life will find you and life will happen. I have some friends um, in California who have been praying for a little baby recently. Maybe you've seen it, it's, it's been all over. The, the word has gotten out. And this little boy's name was Jackson, and they just figured out what he had last week. He had E. coli. And for me, I look at that family because I saw them from a distance when I lived there, and this family is very wealthy. God is on their life. Whatever they touch pretty much turns to gold. They, uh, he is the director and does a lot of the audio and visual for all of Bethel music. And so they have made their money and they have made Jesus really big in the world. But life can happen to anyone and out of nowhere, their baby boy just about dies. And as Catherine and I, we even, um, we even started praying for Jackson. And he started doing a little bit better and two weeks in, then his sister catches E. coli, and she's in there with him. And this family's holding on by a thread, and it reminded me that life will touch anyone, so don't think you're too big for life to happen to you. Don't think you have enough protection around you and your finances or anything that life can touch you. The, touch you. the only thing that protects you is Jesus, and he still said life's going to happen. He just said he'll walk through life with you. So you have to remember, sometimes in youth, I'll be talking to someone like, well, this happened and this happened. I said, Jesus never said life's not going to happen. We live in this denial that when we, we become a follower of Jesus, everything's going to be easy. That's not what he said. The Jesus I know says, I will take your hand and I will walk through it with you. I will sit at the table with you while you're struggling with your addiction, while you're struggling with your pride, and while you're in your brokenness, and I'm not going to leave. That's the Jesus I know. Something that I also noticed in this, in this scripture real quick. What time are we at? Oh, we're good. I'm going to close it up in just a second. Something else I noticed is G it says Jesus, in some, in some of the translations, it said Jesus was reclined at the table. So Jesus wasn't in a chair. He was actually laying on the floor. I'd lay on the floor, but I might not get back up. Um, these pants are a little tight. Um, 
Jesus was reclined at the table. So he was just laying there. And this is what it tells me, church. And this is something I want you to really hear. Jesus was reclined. This shows me Jesus was not scared of sin. Jesus was relaxed. He was reclined around sin. I know when I get around certain sins that scare me, it's easy to become defensive and start to try and fix the problem. I find myself trying to clean a mess that I was never called to clean. I was called to love. Jesus was sent here to clean up the mess. This is why I believe Jesus was reclined. Jesus was comfortable around sin because it didn't affect him. He knew he was going to affect it. Do you trust Jesus enough to know that he is going to affect sin? Do you believe in that enough that you can be around people who don't have wholeness and not worry about judging them and just be their friend? Can you sit at a table with someone and not just preach at them, but just let them see Jesus inside of you? For a lot of times, I worry that maybe people won't see Jesus in me. That's on me. I've got to go and work on some things so that my life is a light for people. I don't want my words to get people to come to church. I want my life to speak enough that people want what I have. Because what I have is really good. Does your life say that? Jim, let's go ahead and put up that slide. These are some characteristics of what I believe Levi's table looked like. Levi's table broke the norms of the day. Levi's table said everyone was welcome. Levi's table demonstrated a new way of living. When I think about the Pharisees, because in this verse it says that the Pharisees were starting to complain to the disciples. The Pharisees would not have been seen eating with these people, so they would have been outside. It was a banquet. So there would have been little windows made out of stone, and they would have been looking inside because they would not dare walk in there and sit with unclean people. It's just a rule that they followed. So they were sitting outside of this table, and they were looking inside and seeing Jesus do this. They were looking through all sides of the house, just looking at what was going on, and they were just starting to complain. And this is what I got out of that. The Pharisees missed out on dining with Jesus because they were so used to the old way of living that when new life came, they couldn't even see it. After reading this a number of times, I had to stop and ask myself, how many times have I missed God because it didn't look the way I thought it was supposed to look? You're going to have to ask yourself that question in 2018, church. Are we going to stand outside because it doesn't look the way that we're used to seeing it look? Or are we actually going to come inside, sit down, and have a meal with people in Jesus? You get to make the call. Last slide, Jim. In the communion about this message. Number one, can we live out what Jesus has called us to do and let Jesus do what he does best? Can we stop running around trying to clean up the mess? Or can we just love the people that are in front of us? Are we going to let people's sin scare us? Are we going to be relaxed around sin because we know Jesus is going to affect it? Does your life speak Jesus? That's the big thing. Does your life speak Jesus without you opening up your mouth? I know for me, when I get in fear mode of certain sins, I become very opinionated. I become very judgmental and I start pointing a finger at them we got to stop pointing the finger at people and point people to Jesus. Can we do that? And the last question, what would your life 
and our church look like if our tables looked like Levi's? Can your table look like this? Can it be in the world, but not of the world? Can it sit with sinners and be reclined because they know their God is bigger than the sin they're around? You might be able to say yes. It's easy to say, oh yeah, that's easy. Show me, show Jesus that that's as easy as you say because it's not as easy as it sounds. It takes some work on ourselves. And that's what 2018 is going to be for me and I pray for this church, that we work on ourselves and what Jesus wants to point out in us and we go out there and we love people for who they are, not the mess you see right when you walk up to them. That's the church I believe in. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we get ready to take communion, I ask that that these, these little words that you gave me, that you gave a man who grew up without a father, that you gave him some revelation of what the gospel holds inside of it, that you challenged me so that I could challenge your people. The gospels are full of so many things. They're full of life. They're full of miracles. But one of the things Jesus showed me this week is the gospels are also about resurrection life. Can we get excited about meeting with people around a table because Jesus is just about to have somebody come back to life? Can our church get excited about what Jesus wants to do in 2018? Can we love people and can we look past their mess and let Jesus take care of that part and let us just walk beside them? I pray that for me, that I will walk with people and not judge them, that I will walk with people and get rid of my agenda. At the end of the day, I do not want my agenda to say, I got 100 people saved in my lifetime, Jesus. And Jesus could look back at me and say, what about the one? You were so focused on the 100, you missed out on the one. Church, I don't want to be that person. Let's take one person at a time, love them, walk with them. If it takes three, five, six years before they start asking the question, they'll be able to say, Matt, your life for those three years looked like Jesus. And that's why I want to know about him. I loved all the things you said in those three years, but the way you lived your life stuck out to me more than the words that you said. Can we be that church? That when people ask us a question, we're so ready to give them the answer. And that answer is Jesus. Let's stop pointing at the sin and pointing at the mess and let's point up to Jesus because he's the only thing that can take care of the mess. Jesus, we give you back your leadership that we so often try to outlead. I ask that we be a church of followers and a church that loves, that shows mercy and gives forgiveness because church, we were called to do that, not clean the people up. As we get ready to take communion, Jesus, I just ask you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.